Greetings, dear podcast listener. My name is Art Wright, and I'm the senior pastor at Williamsburg Baptist Church. The sermon that you're about to listen to is based on John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. It's the story, the famous story, I would say, of uh, what we many of us know as Doubting Thomas. My sermon is actually entitled, uh, it has a strike through the word doubting and is Courageous Thomas. We're trying to play with this, um, this sort of impression of who Thomas is. I think he's braver than we give him credit for. I do hope it's helpful for you as you reflect on what it means to doubt and be a person of faith and courage in this world as we attempt to follow Jesus. We are at the end of our journey through the Gospel of John and the Narrative Lectionary. Next week we'll be in Acts, and we'll be in Acts for two or three weeks, and then we'll be in the letter to Philippians until Pentecost, which is on June 5th. And then we have the Worship Council and I are cooking up a couple of creative summer sermon series that we're excited to share with y'all. Hope that um, this particular sermon is meaningful for you. We really are glad you're listening. If you want to find out more about what's going on in the life of our church, you can head on over to www.williamsburgbaptist.com. You can also reach out to me at pastor at williamsburgbaptist.com if you want to get to know the congregation more in any way, if you have questions or if you have specific things that we can be praying for. Really are glad you're listening. God bless you this week. My wife Beth and I had the good fortune to travel to Italy in January of 2009, BC, before children. It was a wonderful trip. We flew into Venice and rode gondolas up and down the waterways. We ate, we ate pasta and pizza and gelato and drank coffee and wine. We hiked along the Mediterranean Sea in a little region uh, called Cinque Terre on the coast. We got to see the ancient ruins of Rome, including the marvelous Colosseum. We watched the sunset from the top of the Duomo Cathedral in Florence. It was an amazing trip. I can't wait to get back there one of these days. But there's one moment that I always think about, that Beth and I always talk about whenever we think of that trip. We had a Rick Steves guidebook with us that we were using to get around, and one of the things that it said that we just had to do in Florence was to go see Michelangelo's statue of David in the Galleria dell'Accademia. I'd heard of the David statue before, but I had my doubts. After all, how impressive could a statue be? It's just a big hunk of marble, right? But according to Rick Steves, we just had to see it to believe it. So one afternoon after enjoying some amazing gelato, we made our way through town to the art museum, followed the crowds through several rooms inside, past entirely unmemorable paintings on the wall. And then we turned the corner into this long gallery and literally gasped. About 50 feet away down the hall, stood the 17-foot-tall marble statue of David. Towering over the room, his sling held casually over his left shoulder, his body tense and ready for battle. 
Nothing could have prepared us for the sheer beauty and magnitude of, of seeing that statue. We walked up to it and approached it with awe and spent the better part of a half an hour just wandering around it, examining it from all angles and marveling how beautiful it was. To this day, whenever Beth and I talk about that trip, we both remember gasping as we turned the corner and, and saw the statue for the first time. I wish I could find words to do it justice in this sermon, but it's one of those things in life that you just have to see it to believe it. I wonder if any of you can think of something in your life that you never would have believed if you hadn't seen it or experienced it for yourself. I, for one, feel like I can empathize with Thomas in today's reading. Two weeks ago, we read John's Easter morning account. Last week, we pushed pause on our, our journey through the Gospel of John for Lisa Wolf's wonderful sermon on Ecclesiastes. But today, we turn the page back to John chapter 20, and this is actually our last Sunday in the Gospel of John. We've been there for months now. Next week, we'll turn the page to Acts, and then we'll end up in Philippians until Pentecost. The scripture reading that Jenny shared begins on the evening of the first Easter. Earlier in the day, you'll recall, Peter and the beloved disciple had seen the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene had actually encountered the risen Lord, and then she reported to the disciples what she had seen. But I can't help but wonder what in the world is going through their heads as they're sitting in that upper room in this scene. They've locked the doors because they're afraid. They've heard the good news from Mary Magdalene, but they aren't ready to celebrate yet. It's as if it's too good to be true, like they have to see it to believe it. Lo and behold, the resurrected Jesus suddenly appears in the room with them, and John doesn't cue us in on how Jesus gets in the room, only that he appears to them with a physical body, one that they can touch and see. Jesus says, peace be with you. God, shalom be with you. He shows them his hands and his side where he's been wounded. And the disciples are filled with joy at seeing their Lord. But this isn't just going to be a dinner party. There's a commission. Jesus says, as the Father, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. This is a crucial moment in the narrative. It's a pivotal moment. As the Father sent me into the world, embodied in flesh with good news, so I am sending you. Jesus' mission becomes his followers' mission. It becomes our mission to love abundantly, recklessly even, to feed the hungry, to welcome the stranger, to welcome everyone to the table, especially those who have been left out for far too long, and to share good news about God's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness to a world that finds itself alienated from God. And finally, to embody the divine presence like Jesus does in the world and make reconciliation and relationship with God possible. Jesus gives them this message and then he breathes on them. 
It's not a COVID-friendly text, admittedly. I'm glad we didn't pick that up as one of the sacraments. But the moment evokes Genesis. Just as God breathed life into the first people, Jesus breathes new life into these followers. <sighs> Receive the Holy Spirit. And thus they become empowered for their mission. They become a new creation. Even if they are still afraid, even if they are still flawed, God still entrusts them to this holy and sacred responsibility to imperfect people. And if we ended the story there, if John ended the story there, that would be great. It would wrap up nicely. We could put a bow on it. But here's the thing. One disciple is missing. For some reason, Thomas is not with the disciples on that first evening after Jesus' resurrection. We have no idea where he is. For all we know, he may have just run down the street to Wawa or Chick-fil-A to get some snacks. But there's one conclusion that we can draw. Thomas is not so afraid that he has to be hiding behind locked doors. Whereas the other disciples have barricaded themselves in anxiously, wondering what to do next, Thomas is out in the world where followers of Christ are supposed to be. In fact, maybe he's already doing what Jesus is asking the others to do, to continue his mission. History has not always been kind to Thomas, and many of us probably know him best as Doubting Thomas. But I can't help but wonder if he deserves a second opinion. I didn't remember this until this past week when I was working on this sermon. In John chapter 11, when Jesus says he has to go to save Lazarus, Thomas is the one disciple who chimes in and says, let's go die together with Jesus too. He understands the risk involved. And he's the one who's evidently willing to risk it all to follow his Lord. I can't help but wonder if rather than calling him Doubting Thomas, we might ought to call him Courageous Thomas or Brave Thomas. When he shows back up at the upper room on that first Easter evening, the, the other disciples tell him what happened, that they encountered Jesus. And oh, by the way, you just missed him. Poor guy. Thomas responds famously, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails and put my hand in his side, I won't believe. Interpreters have tended to view this statement as a lack of faith on his part. But notice that Thomas is only asking for what the other disciples have already experienced for themselves. Jesus, Jesus showed them his wounds, and now Thomas is saying that he needs a similar experience. And let's give Thomas credit for this. He knows what he needs, and he's not afraid to ask for it. That's more than many of us can say sometimes, right? A week passes before Thomas will encounter Jesus himself, and I can't help but wonder what the week is like for him. Is it awkward being around the other disciples who have encountered Jesus? 
feeling like the odd person out, the only one who hasn't met Jesus after his resurrection, the only one who doesn't yet fully understand or believe. On the other hand, they don't kick him out either. They're all willing to lean into the tension of the moment, trusting that people of faith come to understand who Jesus is in different ways and at different times. There's a tendency within religious circles to think that my experience of God has been such and such, and so that's normal. Everyone else should have the same experience that I do with God, or they should understand God just like me. But reality is far from that, at least as we read it in John's Gospel. Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, Mary Magdalene, Peter, and the other disciples, they all take their own different path to understanding and to faith. Their diversity of experience and faith is a good thing. Not everyone has to have the same experience or the exact same beliefs to be a part of the community. So when Jesus shows up a week later, Thomas is still with them. Jesus, notice, doesn't scold Thomas for doubt, but rather offers him exactly what he asked for, a chance to see and touch his wounds. We don't know if Thomas actually touched him or not, but he does respond, my Lord and my God. He acknowledges the fullness of Jesus' identity in that moment. And if you're keeping score, Thomas is actually the first person in John's gospel to identify Jesus as God. His faith journey is different than the other disciples, but he eventually comes to an even deeper understanding of who Jesus is than they do. One of the reasons I love being your pastor in this congregation that it doesn't feel like there's a box that I have to fit into in this place. And it doesn't feel like there's a box that you all have to fit into either for that matter. And to be honest, that is a rare gift in churches, isn't it? Probably at some point or another, all of us have felt like we've had to fit ourselves and our beliefs and the ways in which we present ourselves into the world, to the world in order to conform but this text recognizes that our experience and faith are different, that our needs are different. The text also acknowledges the complexity and difficulty into believing when we don't have proof. Thomas needed proof and he wasn't afraid to ask for it. Folks, if you struggle to believe, you're in good company. Even Thomas couldn't believe without proof. At the same time, this text encourages us to create communities that not only tolerate doubt, but hold sacred space for it. Doubt is not a bad word. It's not something you have to hide. It's better to be honest and authentic. And I can't help but think that Thomas serves as, as an exemplar in this way for us all. If you'll permit me one final thought that kept percolating through my mind this past week. Sunday, April 19th, 2020, 
I was in a small office at home. It's teeny tiny. The door was closed. I felt like I was sealed in a room just like the disciples were on that first evening. As I recorded a sermon on this exact passage, Deb's smiling because she remembers it. This was the first sermon I ever preached for Williamsburg Baptist Church. I was in a room at home behind locked doors and I couldn't help but resonate with the disciples because of how afraid we all felt at that time. Remember April 2020? Anybody remember? We just blocked it out, right? <laughs> it was such a powerful text to me then because I remember the fear as we all hid inside our homes, for lack of a better word, because of the pandemic raging outside. There is a time to be behind closed doors. That was the time. But then Jesus appears to us and says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And I can't help but feel like today, two years later, Williamsburg Baptist Church, and a whole host of other churches too for that matter, but Williamsburg Baptist Church is being called and invited to God, by God to fling open those doors, to figure out what it now means to be sent into the world, embodying Jesus' presence. Church, it's time to be brave and courageous as we move forward in this next chapter together. It's time to be like Thomas. It's time to open the doors and be the church. And it's time to go out there and share good news with the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.